scripture memory verse tonight, Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Romans 8, 14. Anybody else? had two or three weeks really to deal with this scripture. We've been looking at the work of the Spirit on Sundays. So um, you should have this memorized. Good job. You left out these, but... <clears throat> Romans 8.14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Romans 8.14. Good job. Good job. These guys are still in the patriarchal system and keeping sons of God in there. I say children of God. We'll get to that in a minute in our text as we're looking at it. Well, we can look at it even now. Right now, um, where I got it written at? I say children of God because... Uh, it kind of rounds it out. I know that the Bible uses the masculine pronoun. Uh, but actually, when you look it up, it's used 85 times as sons of God in the Greek. But it's also child or children 49 times. And it means kinship. And our kinsman redeemer came to save us. And when we believe in him and we're led by his, the spirit seals us. Then we're led by the Spirit, we become children of God, or sons of God, daughters of God, kinsmen of God. Anybody else? Romans 8, 14. Paul writing to the church in Rome never seen them, never met them. Actually, he met Ananias and Sapphira, who come from Rome when Nero brought persecution. But he's wanted to have fruit in Rome. And he wrote him a letter before he went to Rome, before he's ever been arrested. He writes him this uh, amazing letter. And in chapter 8, really, this text, I want to I back up a bit. I probably want to back up. I might even back up into 7. But I definitely want to back up to 8-1. Uh, 8 being the number of new beginnings. And it's hard to not see that anymore when you see it everywhere. Here's the number of new beginnings. 8. And he says in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now many texts stop there. But the New King James says, Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, I want to just point out quickly that even if that's not there, <clears throat> we're going to see the same thing in verse 4b. So it's going to be mentioned regardless. And it's not talking about you working your way into salvation. It's not talking about your works that keep you from not having condemnation. It's talking about the fact that there's evidence if the Spirit of God enters your life, now you're not going to walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we're always going to be looking at evidence, just like Jesus being the Messiah. The evidence is the resurrection. 
there's going to be evidence, and we'll see this even more clearer when we're going to probably go to 8.17, is probably as far as I'll go. Uh, in verse 16, what does it say? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So there's a witness, there's an evidence, and when you see what this word means, you'll understand that there's agreement between the two, and the two create a life that has evidence that the Spirit of God is living in that life, and thus no longer flesh <laughs> that's being judged. That's how we get to, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now if you wish to do a word count, in chapter 7, Paul, realizing that the law was very spiritual, the law was spiritual, he says 32 times I, I, I. You can go back and read it later. I'm not going to cover it all. But the word I in the Greek is ego. We see it a lot in psychology today because it's the ego and the alter ego. Well, ego is I. It's all about self. Psychology is all about self-esteem. It's all about self. The gospel is all about the spirit of God that points to the Son of God, who points to the Father God, who wants to bring us back into his family, and he has a plan of redemption. Well, the word I, ego, is ease God out. Anytime it's about you, you're still living in religion. I cannot do it. Nope, I can't. I just can't do it. I'm telling you, there's no way that I can do it. And if you're disappointed in what you cannot do, listen to me. Anytime you're disappointed in yourself and you're going, man, that really did. You had confidence in your flesh. And you were really disappointed with yourself because you thought you could do something. But really, there's no way that we can do anything as spiritual people unless it's in the confidence of the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God who is sent back as our comforter and our help. So we need to place our, our whole life surrendered at the cross to the working of the Holy Spirit, because that's what this is about. It's about being crucified with Christ. The flesh is crucified. The sin nature is crucified. The old man is crucified. This mortal body is dead to self, not self-esteem, dead to self. The only good self is dead self, and it's alive to Christ. And so many people get disappointed with themselves, and that means their eyes was upon self. Just as Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank my God. If you want to use I, let it be boasting in God. Thanking God that through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says at the end there of 725, uh, as we close out before we get to our text, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Listen to me. It's very important. And really, the mind there is talking about your intellect. Because this is where the battle starts at. <clears throat> We're going to look at what is called probably more closely sanctification than anything else. Uh, or a walk with God, a life with God. I believe that's what chapter 8 is about. But it begins in your mind. Because Jesus told the lady at the well in Cana of Galilee uh, that you will, there's coming a day when you will worship in spirit and truth. 
It doesn't matter what man thinks. It doesn't matter what religion you make up. It doesn't matter what program is going on. What did the father say? What did the father do? He sent his son, and then his son says, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. And I will, send, I will pray the Father, and he will send another, and the, the spirit of truth, the comforter, the helper, the one to help you get across the finish line. There's no way to get across the finish line and get out of this world alive unless you have the spirit of God dwelling in you. We're going to see that in the text. And the spirit is the one that's going to lead us into all truth, to lead us to worship God in spirit and truth, to lead us across the finish line so we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's the mind that the enemy attacks in our intellect. Oh, I'm, I'm disappointed with myself because I should have done better. Well, then you was looking at your own self. So your mind was twisted and not being renewed. Well, why would it be, need to be renewed? Remember? Romans 12. This is where Paul's going to end up at. Romans 12. He says, I beseech you, considering all of this, these last 11 chapters, I beseech you, I urge you, I plead with you, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What's the problem with living sacrifices? They get up and they walk away. They get up and they follow their own intellect. They get up and they follow a lie. They get up and they run off. They move away. See, a dead sacrifice under the law can't get up. It's dead. Throat been slashed. It's not getting back up. Blood spilled. But you and I have free will. We can get up and run off. But the way that we're sanctified is when we surrender completely to the work of the Spirit. We don't follow our intellect. We don't follow the lie. And really, your, your intellect is your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God and he will make your path straight. He will help you run the race and get across the finish line. So it's listening to God. But it's really your thoughts, your feelings, and your will. That's your intellect. That's what it's talking about when he says, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. Wait a minute. I don't think he's talking about the Old Testament law. Listen to me. He's not talking about the Old Testament law. You're going to see here when we get to verse 2. He's talking about the law of the Spirit. He's talking about the perfect law of liberty. He's talking about the law of God. He uses it again in verse 7. He says the law of God. Interesting, huh? I think it's interesting. But with the flesh... The law of sin. Sin and death. So he calls himself wretched, miserable, enduring trials. So he's going, he's fighting a battle just like every Christian should be fighting. And if you're not fighting it, guess what you're doing? You're living in the flesh. If you're not fighting this battle and contending with the work of the Spirit and trying to let the Spirit sanctify and cleanse you with the washing of the water through the Word then what are you doing? You're not a living sacrifice anymore that's, 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 that's laying yourself down. <clears throat> I beseech you, brethren, considering the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Stay in the presence of God. Stay allowing the Spirit of God to lead you and mold you and shape you and wash you and cleanse you. And do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed, metamorphosis, it's a new creation. Be transformed by the renewing of your intellect and the renewing of your mind, the renewing of who you used to be as a sin in your sin nature, your thoughts, your feelings, your will, your understanding. Your mind is being washed and renewed. Why, Greg? So that you may uh, prove. What do people try to do in a, in a jury trial? What do they try to do in a courtroom? So you may prove. What do you give evidence for? Why are you a witness? Why are you giving testimony? So you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, that's what we want to do with our lives. We want to be that evidence. And that's what really... I think 1B is talking about, I think 4B is talking about, when it says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Listen, is there anything that you're going to do or I'm going to do that in a physical sense that I'm not walking in the flesh? I've got this body of flesh with me. So he's not talking about that because I have to walk across the room. I just did it. Oh, my goodness, I wasn't listening to the Spirit. I just walked across the room in the flesh. He's not talking about that. He's talking about how we're living. And if you want proof of how you're living, whether you're living in the flesh or living in the spirit, whether there's no condemnation, you're not going to get it by walking forward at a church service and saying a prayer and some pastor, some man declaring you saved because you said that prayer. It's just simply not in the Bible. But the Bible gives us plenty of, of evidence Plenty of proof, plenty of scripture that says this person has got the spirit of God, has been saved by God, and there is therefore now no condemnation, no, no judgment. That's what this word is about. No judgment upon them for their sin nature because they've been given a new nature. And when you believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes in and seals you. And when the Holy Spirit seals a person, there is going to be change. There's going to be a new identity, a new house, a new home. And there's going to be a change in that life. It's not going to be just, I believe. And therefore, I go and I do this and I keep living like the world. When you get a new operating system, think about it. We just had our computers redone, new operating systems put in them. They no longer slow. They go whoom, across the page. They move really fast. There's something different. There's evidence that the person who was working on them fixed them with a new operating system that they no longer operate the way they used to. Now, I want you to understand that sanctification is instantaneous. But sanctification practically is also the rest of your race till you are glorified. Think about this. Salvation is in three parts. Sanctification is in three parts. Listen to me. As soon as you believe, you're instantly finished. But as soon as you believe, you're instantly sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is in your life. And now there's no condemnation. There's no judgment for your sin anymore. Why? Because Jesus took it. We're going to see that in the text. And it's the same thing with sanctification. You're instantly completely sanctified in the sense that you're set apart for God's will. So now if you're set apart for God's will, what is God's will? You're supposed to find that out. You're supposed to be cooperating with the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to use you in God's will. Instantly sanctified, but practically you're being changed. 
to look like Jesus and being sanctified in the sense that now my desires, my heart, my will, my thoughts, my feelings, they all have to be cleaned up by the Holy Spirit because they've been living according to the sin nature, according to the lie. What did Jesus say in John 8, 32 to those who believed? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But listen, he qualified it. He didn't say because you said a prayer and you stood at an altar and somebody declared you saved. He said, if you abide in my word. And the only way to abide in his word is when the spirit of God brings the word of God to you and begins to change you. And there's actually evidences all through the Bible of what a person looks like that truly has been sealed with the Holy Spirit because they have a new operating system, if you will. Think about it. No longer a sin nature, but God gives you a new heart. He takes your heart of stone, and then he gives you a heart of flesh, and he writes his word. He writes his will. He writes everything on your heart in sanctification instantly. But then he wants to slowly transform you by the renewing of the mind. And you begin to draw near, and he changes your desires. He changes how you look at things. He changes what you are, are pursuing and how you're living in life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you cannot continue going the way you're going and go with God. So there is therefore now no condemnation. Kedakrima. Kedakrima is the word for condemnation there. Now, I wish they would have used a different word, but this is probably some copyright thing. Because, you know, condemnation doesn't sound like eternal judgment. It doesn't sound eternal. But that's the whole point. Jesus took our eternal judgment. And if anyone is in Christ Jesus, there is now no eternal judgment upon them for their sin. There's no adverse sentence or verdict. There's no, oh, here it is, no damnation. It's from a word, katakrina, katakrino, to judge against or to damn. Katakrino. Listen to me, and I want you to understand this clearly. We're talking about the eternal judgment for the sin nature. That what did he tell us in, in chapter 6? For the wages of sin, missing the mark, the sin nature is death. Separation from God for eternity. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's this free gift that God gives us. And I also want to point out before we try to move on, and we'll talk about this again in a minute, is that there's no eternal damnation. But make no mistake, you still reap what you sow. If you say, yeehaw, set free, I get to do what I want. <clears throat> and you go out and you sow and do stuff of the flesh, you will reap that here physically on this planet. And, and, and it'll burn up anything that you're doing when you get to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you might get in, but you're going to smell like smoke. We're not set free to go do anything we want. We're set free to follow, set free to become a, a follow along behind Christ and what he's doing to be involved in his house to be involved in his work to be part of his witnesses to to be the people that would proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord 
to be the people that would give witness of eternal salvation so other people wouldn't go to hell. He's, he's, he's privileged us to be involved. And if we go out and still continue, there's still another law in the universe. There's still another law that's been set into place, and it's called reaping what you sow. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. And it's no fun reaping the whirlwind. Now, I'm not telling you that you'll get kicked out of heaven. I'm telling you that God will take you to the woodshed and spank your butt. And sometimes spanking your butt is very hard. You will grow. If you plant corn, you're growing corn. Whatever you plant, you're going to reap it. And God has privileged us to follow him and plant seeds of hope and love and mercy and grace and tell people about Jesus. That's why we've been set free from the condemnation of hell fire. We've been set free to follow from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, so that we can follow Jesus and show what Christ looks like in the life of a believer. So many people think that they've been set free so that they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. But it's clear, 4B, 1B, it says, who do not peripateo, walk according to the flesh, sarks, but according to the spirit. Again, Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free, set free to follow, from the law of sin and death. Wait a minute, there's a law there. The law of the spirit of life. Do you see that? James calls it in 125 the perfect law of liberty. There's a perfect law of liberty that we're free to do what we want. Set free from the penalty of sin. Why would we run backward? Why would we go back and keep living and, and, and tasting the vomit of, of our old life? So there is a law here that we're still under. I, I love to say that. I think we're above the law. Uh, we're not under the old law of the Old Testament, but those principles still apply perfectly in our lives. But look at this for a minute. Romans uh, 10. He's going to talk about it. Jesus is the end of the law. 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You become a believer priest? Guess what? The Old Testament law, laws of ceremony, the laws of a sacrifice, those that kept them people in the presence of God, Jesus is the end of that. Why? Because Jesus lived the perfect life. We're going to see it here in a second. That's a good verse to memorize if you uh, want, is Romans 10.4. He didn't, he didn't do away with the law. He didn't get rid of the law. He made the end of the law for righteousness. You see that? That's the only purpose. He came and fulfilled the law. Plavreo. Plavreo. Oh, I don't know the word. I was going to say G42. Plavreo. Because Michael does that. So I was just being funny. Listen. For the law of the spirit of life. So, so law is this. Listen to me. This is really important. 
because I, I was like, what does that mean? Law through the idea of prescriptive usage, the principle of the law, the principle of the Spirit coming in and setting us free. Well, what is it? Well, it, it, the, the principle here, the prescriptive usage of the Spirit of life that's in Christ is to make us free. The principal usage is to be free to follow God. That's the whole usage of the prescription. That's the whole usage of Him taking our condemnation, our curse, our punishment, and giving us His Spirit. And now we can follow the law of the Spirit of life, and that more abundantly. And it's in Christ Jesus. It's nowhere else. And it's made you and me free from what? The law of sin and death. Well, what is that? Well, that was the principle. That was that was the principle. That was the idea of prescriptive usage of the law of the Old Testament that, that pointed out sin. See, because before that, Paul talks about it. He says, before the law, I didn't know that it was sin. But when somebody said, thou shalt not, now I know that it's sin. And that was the prescriptive usage, was to, to point to the fact that that's wrong. That's not what God's heart would want you to do. And therefore, the law becomes, he says to the church in Galatia, he says the law becomes a pedagogus, the schoolmarm, the head schoolmarm in the culture, the head servant, the head servant in the house would literally get the kids up and get them ready and, and dress them and make sure their hygiene was taken care of and then walk them to school. That's what the head servant would do. Well, who's the head servant of God's house? The Holy Spirit. And so now the Holy Spirit is getting you and us awake. He, he taps us on the shoulder. He tells us that Jesus is Lord. We believe in Jesus. He seals us. And now he gets us up and he takes us to school. He wants to teach us and guide us and lead us and help us to understand all things according to what Christ has done for us. That we're now under the law of life, the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus. And now we're free to learn this without going, well, I messed up. Well, the penalty of sin is death. No, I'm free now. I have no condemnation. So if I do mess up, I don't have to go, ah, I'm afraid of death still because now I know that I already have life and that eternal and it can't be taken away from me. The problem is, is so many have been given a false bill of goods and they've just said a prayer and they think they're okay, but there's no spirit in them. There's no sealing in their heart because there's no fruit in their life. And you can tell a tree by its fruit. So for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free. I'm free from death. I'm free from the law of sin and death. I'm free from having to fulfill the law and obey the law well, why? Verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There it is again, the evidence. Not fulfilled by us, fulfilled in us. Listen, just by belief, just by trust, by faith. But then there's a whole bunch there. Paul writes such long, crazy sentences. Look at this. 
for what the law could not do. Now listen, don't take this in the wrong stance. The law was perfect. Nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect, converting the soul. The law was the heart of God. The, there was nothing wrong with the law, the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with any of the prescriptive commandments, the prescriptive uh, uh, commandments of God. Nothing wrong with it. Notice what he said. For what the law could not do in that was that it was weak. Well, why was the law weak through the flesh? It wasn't the law that was wrong. It was our flesh that was weak. We couldn't keep the law. There was nothing in us that could keep the law. Listen to me. The law was perfect. It's the flesh, sarks, you and me that is weak. We can't keep God's law. Well, what did God do? God did by sending his own son, this free gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever shall believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life, receive the spirit, sanctified by the spirit, led by the spirit, Cross the finish line here. Well done, good and faithful servant. So since the flesh couldn't keep the law, God said, I'm going to send my son. And what did he do? He sent his own son, his only begotten son, the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And he came in the likeness, the resemblance, the image made like what? the likeness of sinful flesh. Now listen to me. This is very important. Only the likeness. He wasn't sinful flesh. You and I are born underneath the first Adam, so we are born sinners. We're born under law. We're born condemned. We're born dead. Jesus was born according to the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important, this text. We're talking about the Spirit, how we're led, how everything. Jesus was full of the Spirit without measure. He was led to the baptism by John the Baptist, by the Spirit. He was led up after into the wilderness to be tempted by the Spirit. Everything was done by the Spirit as an example for you and me, how we should walk in our flesh. But first, he condemns and takes the punishment for our bodies, for our flesh. But watch this. He didn't have Adam as his father. So he didn't have the sin nature that you and I have. Are you with me? The sin nature is not passed through the woman. It's passed through the man. The woman has the sin nature because she received it through the man. It's through the seed the sperm is what it's called in the King James. Through the seed of man, because it comes through Adam. And so, Jesus was in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus was in the flesh. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14. And he came, why? Because of sin, on account of sin. There was a debt that needed to be paid. And he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. But he wasn't born with a sin nature like you and I. But he came on account of sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. What did he do? He brought judgment on it. That's what, that's what the Gospels are about. The 40th book is judgment. Why did he come for? To bring judgment. And he judges sin and takes it on the cross. 
His love holds us there. He pays the full payment for sin with his perfect life, his perfect blood. The resurrection proves that the Father accepted it, and he condemns completely and judges sin at the cross. He did it in a fleshly body that was dead for three days, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us. We can't fulfill the righteous. We couldn't do it. The law, we couldn't keep in the flesh. So it was weak only because we couldn't keep it. So it became a school marm to show us, can't keep it. And then, but what can I do? I can believe in Jesus who judged sin completely in his fleshly body. He took the righteous requirement of the law, death, that he might fulfill, play ruo, fulfill uh, to make complete or re, re, complete to furnish, to satisfy the righteous requirement of the law. That's what he did in us, but not, did I say that right? Yeah, in us, but not by us. We can't keep the law. In us, not by us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, once again, I'm telling you, that's not saved by works. That's because there's works, because you're walking in the spirit, there's evidence that you actually believe. And that's what we need to see. Jesus said himself, you can epigonosco, you can tell a tree by its fruit. So if somebody is still walking, he's going to go on to do this, and I'll run it with you. But if somebody's still walking in the flesh, pursuing the things of the flesh, chasing the world, they, 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 don't, they don't have any understanding or comprehension or desire for the things of the Spirit, we're going to see they're not gods. It doesn't mean they can't become gods. Not gods like they're gods, but God's child. But it means that they haven't really front slid when so many people think that they backslid. Five. For those, listen to what Paul would say. I think it's amazing. He's not even talked to these people. He's writing them such a profound letter. For those who live... <clears throat> He's been saying walk, same thing. Those who live according to the flesh, here's your litmus test, here's your evidence, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. How clear can it be? Is there is there any other thing, when, when you know, If your mind, will, and emotions, if all your desires, if you chase after the things of the flesh, your flesh. But if the Spirit comes in, the Bible clearly tells us that now you're going to want to set your mind, your affections, your desires upon the things of the Spirit. Of course, the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's God. So you, when you say uh, your mind will be set up on the things of God, not on your own self anymore, but you realize you've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus, that you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but uh, the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new because of the Spirit. And now I have a, 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 a sinless, when I, be, when I was born again and the Spirit came in, I have a clean slate, a clear slate. I've been set free. I have a new home, a new hope, a new lifestyle. I have a, 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 a clean heart to be cleaned up and washed and tell me which way to go. I've got somebody else with an operating system teaching me. But if you're still chasing the things of the flesh, now listen, it's it predominantly, I know that we can all get a sideward glance or we can all get and go, what am I doing here? This is not where I should be following. This is things of the world. And so this is what uh, John is talking about over in 1 John 2:15 and 16 he says do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the lust of the, or the if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in them so what's he talking about the love of the father god is not in them God is love. The spirit is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life are not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the desire, the lust for it. That's somebody growing in sanctification. When it's passing away, and you stop pursuing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life, and you begin to pursue the love of God, the spirit of God, the work of God in your life, that continues to wash and cleanse and purify you in the practical practical sanctification. So what we want to do is go, let me just stop and think about this for a minute. Where do I keep setting my mind? Why do I get up in the morning? Why, where's my mind going? What am I doing? Is my mind focused on everything that's me, 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 I, I, I? Remember, that's what Paul said 32 times. I, I, I. I find in me, I, I, I. Religion, self, not spirit. Listen to me, because we're going to build to this point of being led by the Spirit of God. And it's not something that, that bam, I'm there! It's a process that we're looking at where the Spirit of God is changing the way we live, the things we pursue, the desires we have, renewing our mind in our identity with Christ. But we have all of these places where we can see the evidence and God doesn't show them and go, hey, wait a minute now, you're a little bit short on your works, a little bit short on your fruit. Hey, wait a minute now, you're getting close to the fire. No, he tells us these things so we will say, Lord, what is going on? My mind is staying fixed on the flesh. What am I doing to quench and grieve and insult the Holy Spirit? Why is it? Why am I? And it's because it's our natural propensity. If our sin nature, if our flesh is on the throne and we're looking for me, 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 I, 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 which by the way, he uses me nine times, I 32 times and me nine times in chapter seven, as he's realizing that the law is spiritual and that he needs to follow the spirit of God and be sanctified by the spirit of God and live a life in Christ because of what Christ has done. So uh, where is our mind at? Think about it. If, if Christ's mind was upon himself, when he was sitting in the throne room in heaven and he was having perfect fellowship with the father and and the Holy Spirit, and his mind was like, I ain't going down there. The people are dirty down there. I mean, if his mind and everything that he thought in his intellect was, 
I mean, he would have never created mankind. We wouldn't even be here. But his mind has always been with, you can go read it later, Proverbs 8. He's, he's always been with the sons of men. His desire is always to be there as he was a master craftsman, as one raised up before the Father just to be with us, just to die for us. That's amazing to me when you start looking at it in the Old Testament and you see all the places that Christ was and he was just waiting for that hour when he could die for us. And then he gets there in the flesh and the flesh was like, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Notice the mind. Notice the intellect. Notice the identity. Notice what he was doing. He was knowing what he came for. He was knowing what he was anointed to do, created to do, put there to do as the provision for the sin nature. And he let the Spirit lead him to the cross. There was no power in his body to do it. Yet he had to carry his own cross to the place of Golgotha, the place of the skull. Listen, and it's the same with you and me. We have a free will to choose. I'm going to keep my mind fixed upon myself or we can be crucified with Christ and let the Spirit. But only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the Spirit of God can create surrender. Only the Spirit of God can lead you through that. Mm. We were getting my wife some fluids today she hates me for it not not in a bad way that's a bad word i shouldn't say hate she's a little uh <clears throat> she doesn't like me to talk her into doing stuff where they stick needles in her arms and they hydrate her but we're, we're talking with the nurse and sharing jesus with her and she's uh, a christian and she's amazed by the old testament as we share but my point is this is that in the thing as i share my testimony we share my wife's testimony listen We've been through a little bit. People go through a lot. Some people have been through way more. Some people have been through less. But at the point is this, what we were talking about was that if my wife would have died at 21 of cancer, she'd have, she'd have went to hell. She didn't know Jesus. So the things that we go through are to get us to cry out to God so that we will be saved. And then we think, well, well, now I'm saved. I don't have to go through anything. I can all live for myself. No. Now you're still being a testimony. You're still being washed and cleansed. You'll still go through things and suffer. That's what he's going to say here in verse 17. If indeed we suffer with him. I mean, these are things that are going to happen. You're dying to self. You're saying no to self. You're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You're reckoning the old man dead you're saying i could do this but i'm going to go serve over here and only by the power of the spirit and the grace of god can i do that but i know that my lord came off the throne with all power and made himself of no reputation and died to set people free from the bondage and the condemnation of sin the law of sin and death that reigned in our mortal bodies so that's the pattern we want to walk in but we can only do it by the Spirit of God. It can't be done any other way. Programs, plans, flesh. And here's the thing. It becomes evident when you watch it. Is this something I could do in the flesh? Is this something I'm giving glory to God? Or am I living by the Spirit? Am I pursuing? Now, let's just replace this. The Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. So who's the Spirit? The Spirit is God, right? So now is my mind set on the things of God? 
Let's, let's take it like this. Sometimes you go, oh, the Spirit, and we think, oh, no, no. No, let's think. Is my mind set on the things of God? Well, what's, my, what's God's mind set on? Well, saving souls. He gave his most prized possession to, to come down and die to save souls. And then our minds are on everything else. I got to get more money. I got to keep up with the Joneses. I got to build this big house. I got to drive a nice car. But is, my, is that godly? Is that what God's doing? The Son of Man, you know, the birds have nests, the, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. And I am not preaching to you to go out and become homeless and say, now I'm doing, my mind is set on God. No, God wants you to have life, and that more abundantly. But in it, he wants you to stay focused on spiritual things and not the flesh. Like a child would do. Mine, mine, mine. You know? Yours be the glory, Lord. I'm going to boast. I want to boast in you. So he says this. Where's your mind? Because the battle starts there. The battle is in the mind. The battle starts with truth. And if I don't know truth in my intellect, in my inmost parts, I'm going to follow the lie. I'm going to be following the flesh. I'm going to be pursuing something else. That's why it always just grieves my heart. It breaks my heart. It, 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 I'm like, what? And I talk to people. They go, I'm a Christian. And I say something about the Bible, and they're like, i got to get out of here because I don't know nothing about the Bible. <clears throat> Listen, if you're a baby Christian, that's okay. If I was to look at my newborn grandbaby, and it's three days old, and I go, Jesus loves you, and that baby said, I know, I'd be freaking out. See, because the baby's not at that age yet. But as we stay in the church, <clears throat> and we live in the church, and the church continues to teach us, that, that racism exists and that and all these hierarchies of finances exist and all these things about the world exist and we should be trying to fix them, that's called socialism. That's called Marxism. That's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus came to do. And so we got to wake up because that's keeping your mind on the flesh. That's keeping your mind on the world. That's keeping your mind on things that Jesus didn't come to say. He's going to burn that stuff up. He came to save your soul. And if your soul, your intellect, your mind, will, and emotions is focused on all of those things that are going to burn up, you're going to burn up with them. It's that simple. That's what he's talking about here. But if your mind is focused on souls of other people, you get outside yourself. You let the Holy Spirit use your gifting, your talents, your abilities, your resources. Everything that you're doing becomes about the salvation of souls. Believe me, that's what God wants to do. He saved us. We're in his house. We're, we're, we're his trophies of grace sitting on his fire mantle. When, when, he, when he invites people over, he's going to go, look here. Here's, here's Gregory, a little grace on him. because oh, we'll Put some more grace on him. And, then, and, and he's going to do that with other people because that's where we're at. We're his children in his house. But is the evidence there that we're in his house, that we're covered in grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And so here's another evidence where is our mind at? Listen, God knows our hearts. He knows that they're exceedingly wicked. So where's my mind at? Where's my mind focusing on? It's supposed to be washed and cleansed, and I'm learning to live like God. I'm learning to go after souls. I'm learning what he created me for. I'm learning why he saved me. And he's, this is scrubbing, like you ever, you ever watch something? That's what he's doing. There's going to be a little bit of friction. There's going to be some things going on, but he's cleaning me up. So I know where my mind's at. 
Do you know where your mind's at? Are you, are you allowing your mind that, to be washed with the word? The washing of the water through the word because it needs to be washed. And if you're focusing on the things of the spirit, that's what's going to happen. But if the things of the flesh, you're going to ignore the washing and the cleansing of the spirit. You're going to ignore the word of God. You're going to ignore people of God. You're going to ignore the spirit of God in everything that you're doing. And you're going to stay focused on, I can do it. I'm a little disappointed I didn't make it to church though. Well, then you was trusting in your flesh. If you're disappointed with something you didn't do, you're forgetting that your identity is, is that Christ did everything for you. It's finished. To tell us die, he said. It is finished. Now all we get to do is enjoy it. We get to run the race with endurance. We get to be privileged to be involved and tell others what he's already done. Or we can stay in the flesh and go, woe is me. This is terrible. What happened now? I got to do this. I got to get to work. I'm a little unhappy. Or we can enjoy our salvation. Look what he says in 6. For to be fleshly minded. I know your Bible says carnally. Same exact word, sarks. For to be carnally minded is death. If you stay in the flesh, it's going to cause death because you are already dead. Pay attention. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you turn your if your mind turns to the spiritual things, it's life and that more abundantly. And then there's peace with God. And then there's the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Well, why? Because the carnal mind, the mind that's focused on the flesh is enmity against God. The word means hostility. It's a, it's a reason for opposition against God. Everything in the flesh is against God. Nothing good in the flesh can be pleasing to God. It's always hostile to God. And it actually, the word can, has been translated hatred to God. Hatred to God. If we stay in the flesh, we walk in the flesh, we live in the flesh, the, the life of carnality in the flesh. So there's a big argument. Listen, there's a big argument because people argue. You guys, you guys ever argue? Okay, we call it debating. Um, is there a such thing as a carnal Christian? Is there a such thing as a carnal Christian is what people argue about. Well, according to Romans 8, there's no such thing. Because if you're carnal-minded, you're hostile toward God. You hate God. You're in opposition against God. So you're not a child of God. So to be carnally-minded is not of God. It's of the flesh. And if you live in the flesh, you're dead. So people go, oh, I'm just carnal. I was listening to a guy uh, the other day, and he said, he said he was invited to speak at a church. And they called him, and they were talking to him. And they said, hey, we just want you to know that we're carnal Christians down here. We practice carnal Christianity. So be careful what you talk about. And I'm like, what? And then he was like, well, I probably won't. I probably, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to come down there. I don't. I, I'm, I'm going to preach spiritual Christianity. And he turned down the, 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 the engagement to speak. They literally said, we practice carnal Christianity. Listen, I don't think there's any such thing. There, I just don't think there's any such thing. How do you say that? Let's keep moving. We've got to get this done. Uh, verse 7b. 
for it is not subject, uh-oh, to the law of God. The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. Now, what is the law of God? I believe it's the same word as the law of the Spirit in verse 2. I, I, I believe it's the same word as 725, the law of God again. He's talking about the law of God. That, that, that not, not the law of the Old Testament, not the Ten Commandments, but the law of liberty that we've been given. And he says... Uh, for it is not, the carnal mind is not hupotasso, subject, does not line itself up orderly in ranking to the law of God. The spiritual mind does. The spiritual mind is finding out what the will of the Lord is. The spiritual mind is looking to do the will of God. The spiritual mind is looking to die to self and be alive to Christ. But the carnal mind does not hupotasso and get in orderly ranking to the law of God or the law of the spirit of life is what it's called. I like that a little bit better. But it's the same thing because it's God. God is God. Nor indeed can be. So it's impossible. Think about it. Before, when we were living in the flesh, when we were dead in our trespasses, we didn't even know we were. So it's impossible for us to line up with God's law when we're dead. But when we're given life, now, listen, it's an impossibility if you have the Spirit of God not to line up. Watch what he says. Is that where I'm at? Did I get lost? But, oh no, I forgot eight. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Carnal mind cannot please God because he doesn't even know what God's requirements are. He can't hupotasso, he can't align up under them. So if you're in the flesh, because what does he say in Hebrews 11, 6? Those who come to God must first believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the flesh cannot please God. Only a life of faith. But what's faith? It's confident trust in what God has done what God is doing, what God is going to do. And when you begin to trust in yourself and you're dissatisfied with yourself, you've taken your eyes off of God and putting your eyes upon you instead of the work, the finished work of the cross and the work of the Spirit and sanctification. So we need to be very careful because this is where the battle gets lost at. The enemy attacks you and says, well, if I was to go to church, I got a buddy, he keeps saying, oh, I should have read more. I'm like, no, you keep missing the point. Reading one more chapter when you don't do what the first chapter said doesn't help you. You have to come with a heart that's willing to obey. Because if you are a hearer and not a doer, you are deceiving yourself, James says. So now we'll look at what I was trying to point to. Verse 9 Listen to identity. This is the identity of somebody who believes in Jesus and is truly saved. But you are not in the flesh identity, positionally, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, listen to me. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, spirit of God, spirit of Christ, he is not his. Listen to me. 
And if you have the spirit, what does he say interchangeably? If you have the spirit, you're not in the flesh anymore. Because the flesh is dead. The flesh has been crucified at the cross. Your identity is you're alive if you have the spirit. And the spirit is going to lead you into all truth. The spirit is going to change your life. But if we do not have the Spirit, we're not His. And if Christ is in you, look at it, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. See, the Spirit is given us Christ's righteousness. If the Spirit's in you, you're righteous already. You're free already. You're, you're not walking in the flesh according to your position. But what about when that flesh gets up? Out of the grave. Well, you got to kick it in the face and put it back in the grave. That's what Paul's doing. He's remembering his identity. He's remembering what Christ has already done. He's remembering he's not in bondage anymore. He's getting ready to talk about this. He's remembering that he's been set free from the law of death. And that he's walking in the spirit. He's not living according to the flesh anymore. But you have to remind yourself. Are you going to fight the battle of the, of the mind? Are we going to fight this war? Or do we just go, it's okay, I can be a carnival. It's okay, I can do, it's okay, we just do this for a while. It's, no, we need to get in line and be led by the Spirit. Because that's where we're coming to. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. If you have no desire to be led by the Spirit, then you are not His. Because the Spirit in you is going to bear witness. We're going to see it in a second. I'm getting excited. Run out of time. Does not mean you're not going to fall short. Does not mean you're not going to sin. I'm not trying to give you permission. I'm saying God forbid. Certainly not. Don't do that. You're set free to follow Jesus. And if you're walking in the Spirit and you're following Jesus, you're never going to sin. Theoretically, you'll never sin. If you're following Jesus, because the Spirit's never going to lead you to sin. That's the finish line. When we see him, we'll be like him. But right now, our identity is perfect righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus, stood him back up again, from the dead dwells in you, you know, is he allowed to say if? Wait a minute, this is 2022, isn't it? This is 2022. You're not allowed to doubt somebody's salvation. You're not allowed to challenge somebody about their salvation. You can't even challenge them about their sex, whether they're male or female. Even in the church, listen to me. We are so far that Jesus slipped off the cracker in the church. How many times does... Does Paul say if? There's evidences. You can tell a tree by its fruit. Don't you want to know today? You don't want to let the devil deceive you and you get to the throne of grace and you go like, oh, my name's down there. It's probably number 89 or 90. I was way down the list because I know I was a little carnal, but can you find me there? Maybe 200. Look, look at it again there. Uh, no, not there. That's not a good time to find out you're not there. Right now, the evidences are supposed to be clear. 
I mean, it might be some baby fruit, might be some small stuff. The evidences might be, but there needs to be a mind toward the things of God, the spirit of God, the walk of God, the salvation of God, turning from our sin. Because if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells, lives, has made his home in you, ooh, it means to occupy a house, a residence, to inhabit, to cohabitate, that's the position of Christ. That's pretty cool. Hmm. If this, let's read it again, verse 11. But contrast if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ from the dead will also give its free life to your mortal bodies how greg through here's the channel his spirit who dwells in you if he's living in you he's giving life to your body, he's given strength, he's given power, he's given dudamai. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen, he's going to seal you, he's going to empower you, he's going to teach you, he's going to give you gifts, talents, and abilities. Therefore, he said all of this, brethren. Therefore, brethren, we owe nothing to the flesh. Listen, we are not debtors to the flesh. That's what he says. Oh, well, the mortal body, I thought that was pretty cool. I looked it up, and it means that which is subject to death. In other words, like it says in 1 Thessalonians, God wants to sanctify you spirit, soul, and body. Your mortal body. And that's what's going to happen. In the twinkling of an eye, this, this corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. It's going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye also. And our spirit positionally is already married to God, so it's already changed. It's, a, it's betrothed to God. And then right now we're going through practical sanctification of our mind, will, and emotions, learning to worship God in spirit and truth, learning our identity, fighting, asking God to help us keep our mind fixed on the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh, but to kick the flesh in the face, put it back in the grave, it's crucified with Christ, and when Christ appears, who we are will appear with him. Therefore, brethren, we don't owe the flesh anything to live according to the flesh. Or let's just read it properly. Verse 12, 8, 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. And he makes this declarative statement to live according to the flesh. We don't, we don't owe anything. We're not supposed to be living according to our stinking flesh that's dead. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I'm going to try to make that clear. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Okay, third witness. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Amen. 
contrast. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Amen. So here's the work. You know what I'm saying? Here's the work. I, I, yeah, you know, I, I, amen. Preach it, brother. I'm just reading the scripture because that's all you got to do with this stuff. But if our mind stays fixed on the flesh and we're living according to the flesh, we're just going to die. If the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the grave lives in us, our mind is going to want to go to spiritual things. We're going to be concerned about souls. We're going to be concerned about others because God lives in us. And we will live. But as we live, we're supposed to be putting to death, crucifying the works of the flesh. Oh, what are they? Let's go look. Galatians 5. We just looked at them, what, last Sunday? Let's look at Galatians 5. You want to? I know. You guys are ready to go home. Galatians 5, 19. Because I don't know what the flesh looks like. But I need to know. Does the Word of God ever tell me? Oh, yes. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Oh, they're manifest. You can tell them really easy. They're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, pharmakeia, sorcery, which is rebellion or drugs, or worshiping the devil, hatred, murder, contentions, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, methe. We talked about this. That means to be habitually intoxicated with anything other than Jesus. And the only way you can ever do that is by the power of the Spirit. If you don't follow the Spirit, you'll be intoxicated with something else. The calling is, is to be intoxicated with the works of the Spirit. To be intoxicated with what God's doing. Well, why should I be intoxicated with what God's doing? Because He's righteousness. Because He died for you. Because He loves you. Because it's life and not death. Revelries and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, those who do such things, practice is the intent, you keep doing them, and you're not turning from them, you're not in, in repentance, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now why do I say all these things? Why don't we look at all these things? Because so many people will say that somebody's saved because they said a prayer. But if you look at the scriptures and you teach the scriptures, there's going to be evidence of saving grace. There's going to be evidence of changing life. There's going to be forward progress and growth in fruit. And if you bear fruit, he'll prune you. There's going to be some suffering. John 15, he'll cut away sucker branches so that you bear more fruit. So fruit keeps multiplying. But if you sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. And it becomes obvious that there's no evidence of salvation. And you should be concerned. You should turn back to God or turn to God for the first time. And know that you've been deceived in some way because you are not producing fruits of righteousness. Which is what the Spirit of God wants to do in our life. He wants to change our desires. Change the way we live. And he says right here, well the fruit of the Spirit is, this is Galatians 5.22, is love. Well, what's that look like? Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. No law. 
You know any laws against God? No, he created it all. There's no law against him. There's no law against love. And here he says it again, 24, and those who are Christ, here's another evidence, have crucified the flesh. Kill it. It's dead. It's buried. That's the work we're supposed to be doing. Oh, and with its passions and desires, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. If we live in the Spirit, that's the word walk again, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we've been made alive by the Spirit, we should have an obvious evidential walk that's led by the Spirit. We're following the Spirit. Not becoming conceited, puffed up. We better get back here and finish this. It's getting late. The hour is very near. For his repairing. Oh, there it is. Verse 14. Is that what we've been here for? Think about this evidence. Think about this thought. This is a powerful scripture. For as many, whomsoever, as are led by the Spirit of God, listen, which would be the same as the law of God or the Spirit of life of God. It's all the same thing. It's God and His will. It's what He's doing. If you're not led by that, you're led by something from the devil because there's nothing else. But all the devil, the whole world lies there to sway the wicked one, or there's God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. See, He's bearing fruit. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. But Jesus fell into the ground and died, and He bared fruit. And so the fruit is going to look like Jesus. The fruit is going to be reaped and grown up by what he did. He lived a selfless life, a servant life, a sacrificial life. He laid himself down, and so the fruit is going to look like him. The fruit is going to look like love. The true people that are being led by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, that are walking in the Spirit, are doing the work of the Spirit, is going to look like love. It's going to look like Jesus, because he died. And then when we die... And we begin to grow and look like him. People see that and they desire that. But the church is just saying, all you got to do, just say a prayer. And you're in. And we're being deceived because the Bible's full of obvious evidences of life. Obvious evidences of the spirit of God. And the number one is, is what's leading your life today? Oh, that's a, that's a, ooh. Listen, what's leading your life today? Is it God? That's again, once again, spirit is God. 100% God. You just can't see him. He's here now. Is God leading your life? Well, what do you mean? God's will. What God wants to do. What he's on the planet for. Salvation of souls. Is that leading your life? I'm just here to tell you. There's nothing else. Teaching truth to the consciences of people, challenging others, encouraging others, rebuking others. If it's not God leading that, then there's only one other place to be. Because there's only two kingdoms. One of them is going to burn forever. And one of them is going to have life forever with God. No matter what all the deception, no matter what all the other religions are called, no matter what all the other isms, no matter what anybody's teaching, what did God say? 
My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me freely because I've set them free, and I put a, a new operating system in them, the spirit, me, myself, inside them, tearing down walls, having a relationship with them, and moving them forward and taking them upward and making them like me and giving them a desire to witness and tell others. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. What's leading your life today? Politics? Your next vacation? Money? Think about it. What's leading our life? See, because we see many of us are in bondage. Well, I got to uh, pay my mortgage, so uh, I'll go out and go to work. I'm sorry. Seriously, people are in bondage. They put themselves back in bondage to things, to stuff, to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. And that's what's leading their life is because I'm following the American dream. And i got to make sure my kids raised up and follow the American dream. Really? Is that what Christians do? Evidently, that's what they're doing on the planet today. What is leading our lives? Is it spiritual truth? Is it spiritual worship? Does it line up with the Bible? Will it get you killed in the town meeting? Will they cut off your head if you talk about it? Mm. Pretty amazing stuff, really. What's leading your life? You have to make that decision. If it's not the Spirit of God, if it's not the plan of God, if it's not God Himself, then you better get right or you're going to get left. Because this is the test. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. The placing as a son, the placing as a child, the adoption of children. Listen, you can't choose the family you was born in the world in, but you can choose which family you die in. You can choose which family you die in. You receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Not sure why that's like that, because Abba means Father. So it's Father, Father. Listen, Jesus says, listen, listen. I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. He tries to get your attention. So if you're being led by the Spirit, you're saying, Father, Father. And he's saying, I sent my son. And the son's saying, I sent you another operating system, the Holy Spirit, to lead you. I threw you a life raft. Grab a hold and surrender and be dead to self and alive to Christ. Now listen, the Spirit himself, God himself, bears witness with our spirit, small s, that we are children. That's why I like the word children too. Notice this. He bears witness that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. So becoming kinship, becoming a child of God, also has an inheritance with it. Joint heirs with Christ, because he is the only begotten, so he gets a double portion. He's sharing with us, if indeed we suffer with him, 
that we may also be glorified together. That's the end of the race. But we got to get there. The end of the race. Listen to this. Bears witness. Listen to what it says. To testify jointly. Listen. Corrob- corroborated by concurrent evidence. When I looked it up. When the Holy Spirit's bearing witness and you're bearing witness and we're bearing witness together, our spirit married to his spirit, there is going to be a cooperation of concurrent, that, that means at the same time, evidence that we are children of God. It's going to be obvious. There's going to be fruit. That's why Jesus said, you can tell a tree by its fruit. I've never looked at an apple tree and go, that's an orange tree. Because apples are red and oranges are blue. Oh, no, they're orange. Think about it. And so, therefore, the Spirit produces fruit if it's in a life. It has to. That's your identity. We are, you are. How many times did we see that? I should have counted that, right? We are debtors not to the flesh. You are. We are. What is leading your life today? Listen to me. This is very important because there's a lot of stuff going on in Christendom. And just like we talked about on Sunday, you know, someone has said, if you took the Holy Spirit out of the Acts Church, only 5% of what they would do would continue. But if you took the Holy Spirit out of today's church, 95% of what's going on would keep going as normal. And that's very important because he's getting ready to take the spirit out. He's going to take the restrainer out and the restrainer of the world being having the wrath of God poured upon it is the spirit in us, the children of God. And so everybody that has the the spirit in them is going to be yanked out of here, snatched away, harpazo, taken into heaven to meet the Lord in the air and thus we'll be with him always and we should encourage one another with these words get ready to happen and yet the church is caught up in everything else instead of waiting to be caught up in the air as many as are led not driven not pushed not led by fear but led by the spirit of God These are the children of God. Are you being dragged along by the current of this world or led by the Spirit of God? It's very important to sit down with God, get alone, and say, what is leading my life? And if it's not the Spirit, to ask Him. Luke 11, 13. If you, being evil, know how to give your children good gifts, How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? Have you asked him for his spirit? Have you told him that you want to believe in his son and ask him for his spirit? And then listen and follow close behind. Next week's scripture. This was just scripture memory verse, right? Next week's scripture. Proverbs 27, 17. Anybody know it? As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Proverbs 27, 17. 
As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Write it down, memorize it, share it with others. Let's see what God would teach us through it. Ask the Holy Spirit to open it up to you and help you have spiritual understanding for life about it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that we would be those that are led by your spirit, that we are led by you, God, by by your kingdom come, your will be done. That, Lord, we would be concerned about glorifying you here on earth. We know that you've been given all authority in heaven and on earth and that you've sent us to go and teach, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that you commanded us. And you said, you promised us that, lo, you're with us always, even to the end of the age. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for being here now. Baptize us afresh and anew with power to go out and tell others the truth so that they can be set free and be part of your family. Thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you.